podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, this is Stuart Broad and this is the Analyst Inside Cricket Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket and that little bit of World Cup commentary is appropriate actually because we have Joss Butler on this show a little bit later. He was a guest in our virtual cricket club the other night and we talked quite a bit about the World Cup and the World Cup final so uh, it is sort of quite appropriate to have that little bit of commentary at the start but we have to talk first about this extraordinary test match in Adelaide, Simon. 36 all out, India. Yuvraj Singh got 36 off one over against England in 2007 in the World T20. And now the team have only managed 36 all out. The lowest ever score by an Indian Test team on what looked, on the surface anyway, a decent pitch in Adelaide, actually. I mean, what was your take on it? Well, there are all sorts of crucial moments in the game, weren't they? The Virat Kohli run out on the first day. India dropping catches and not getting as big a lead as they probably should have done. Tim Payne playing really well for Australia, almost bucking the trend and and becoming man of the match. And then just that relentless Australian bowling. And I think the, the key on the third day, the final day, was there was just enough movement. And they're so accurate, aren't they? That's the problem. They really test your technique and it was noticeable that if you think about the wickets that went down there were so many little edges through to the keeper fine nicks through to Tim Payne lots of catches for Payne just enough movement for the Australians and they were able to exploit it with that that ruthless pace bowling attack that they've got it, it does feel it's a, it's a year away but it does feel watch out England yeah, well, we'll certainly think about uh, the uh, implications for England touring Australia, obviously, in a year's time. Actually, what it reminded me of a little bit was that extraordinary day at Trent Bridge when Stuart Broad bowled Australia out for 60. It was one of those days where, I mean, I remember this day incredibly well, actually, because Broad came up to me at the start of play. We were looking at the pitch, I don't know, sort of 45 minutes before the start. And he looked at it and said, mm, it looks, looks a bit of a batting day. It looks all right to bat on to me. And I said, you're joking. Surely there's there's enough green there to, to make it do something. And he said, well, yeah, but it's not that live, that grass. Um, I reckon we should bat first. And so lo and behold, England won the toss, fielded first, 60 all out, broad eight for 17. And it was one of those days where the ball did move, yes, and he bowled superbly, but everything that moved took the edge and every edge went to hand, and every <laughs> edge that went to hand was caught. Even the, the extraordinary catch by Ben Stokes, almost catching it behind him uh, at Gully. So it was one of those extraordinary days, and I think this one was similar in a way. The ball did just, as you say, the ball did just enough. There was enough bounce for it to carry, of course. That's a, another key thing, and that was the same at Trent Bridge. There's enough spring in the pitch, especially with the with a fresh new ball, for the edges to carry to the slips at a nice height or to the keeper. And then every ball that moved was nicked, and every nick went to the slips or to the keeper. So it was sort of an unusual, perfect storm, I suppose, in a way. I think you also do have to give enormous credit to the Australian bowlers, particularly Cummins and Hazelwood, who are they're pretty high up in, in the sort of ranks of all-time best bowlers, I think, because... 
their speeds are not only high in terms of sort of 88 miles an hour, but they also sustain those speeds with you know high high levels of fitness. They're looked after, both of them, so they don't play as much one-day cricket of all-format cricket as some bowlers. And I suppose the other thing is they are relentlessly accurate and using the sort of forensics of the analysis that bowlers get these days, you know, with Hawkeye pitch maps and so on, they've been able to apply the knowledge of what ball takes the most wickets. Well, the ball that takes the most wickets is the one just on a foolish bit of a good length that is just around sort of off stump and just outside off stump. Now, we've always known that, but it's quite hard, I think, to get bowlers to really appreciate it. You know, you think of Anderson and Broad. You know, for years, we've shown them pitch maps or talked about it on telly or something. Look, if, if you just pitch that one a bit fuller, you're going to get wickets. But no, no, they they like to just have that slight comfort zone, a slightly shorter length, so that they don't go for runs. Broad's been bowling realized... a bit fuller recently, though, hasn't he? Broad... Well, that's right. I mean, yeah. the message has, has sunk in, hasn't it, just over the last sort of year or two. And I think you've got two bowlers now, Cummins and Hazelwood, who are basically machines they are supremely fit and confident and they've absolutely honed their technique down to the nth degree using that analysis they know which balls take the most wickets and look at the the ashes of 2019 you know where both of them were relentless looking to you know hit the top of the off stump the first couple of wickets that Cummins took in this test match in Adelaide were balls just outside off stump, which nip back a touch and hit the top of the off stump via the batsman's inside edge, perhaps. But, you know, that's what he's looking to do. And I, I think they've almost perfected the, the, the ability to hit that perfect length and line consistently. And, you know, the, the added factor, I suppose, is they're bowling at batsmen who have been, you know, basically reared on an exclusive diet of white ball cricket for 10 months. Nobody's played a test match since January. And uh, th- their techniques just were a little bit exposed. They didn't bat appallingly, but they, they you know, they weren't, the, the, you know, the good leave, that thing that Raul Dravid talked about on one of our podcasts a long time ago, uh, saying, you know, he's disappointed by the modern batsmen that they don't, uh, enjoy a good leave well there weren't too many good leaves around were there there weren't I mean the, the bowling was so well I mean it is about the accuracy though accuracy pace and a little bit of movement and and that relentlessness and it, you know it, it is a perfect storm really for for Indian batsmen especially as you mentioned you know they haven't had a, a huge amount of a red ball crickets but you know IPL cricket no test matches for a, for a while and and they are just so good in their own backyard, the Australians actually—I mean—they showed they were very good in, in England last summer. It's funny, actually. You know, sometimes you, when you're, when you're commentating, you look at a game of cricket. You know, a, a game of cricket could last forty balls, couldn't it? Because, or not, in theory, it could last forty balls. Could a Test match because you could be bowled out for naught uh, in, in both innings, ten balls per innings, uh, and and sometimes you say that as a commentator and it, it actually it was a day like that today it was a day like Trent Bridge as well you know you, you just every good ball comes along takes a wicket bang you're out 36 all out in this lowest test score and it, it, it was it was one of those days but it, you know clearly Australia have got that in them haven't they? they 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 really have in those conditions and the other thing as well is, that, is, is look at that all-round nature of that bowling attack now because they've got Cameron Green, they've got Nathan Lyons, they've got the spin option. They've got Cameron Green as well who can... You know, he, I mean, he is, looks a terrific prospect. I mean, it seems a strange, thing, does. To, strange yeah. thing to say about a guy who 
he made 11 runs and didn't take a wicket in the match. But, you know, he's capable of touching 90 miles an hour. He's got height and bounce. If they keep him fit, I mean, he can help rest some of the other bowlers as well and sustain the pressure in the way that England can do, I suppose, because they can put four seam bowlers out as well. So they've got that aspect. And but what England don't have, I think, but Australia clearly do have, is a top-quality spinner. So they, they've got so many bases covered. I'll just give you one other thing about that 36 all-out. All right-handed batsmen. And, you know, the word disruption, disruptor, is a is a trendy word, isn't it? We're sort of talking about, you know, technology, really, and modern life. But that's what you need also with those two bowlers, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood in particular. And I'm not saying it's going to solve all your problems, but a couple of left-handers wouldn't do any harm because it just makes bowlers readjust. They've got to go round the wicket. They've got to change their approach. And there were no left-handers in that Indian lineup, which is which is strange, isn't it? Actually, because they've they've normally had a Shikhar Darwan or you know Ravi Jadeja down the order or somebody like that. But uh, Yuvraj Singh, you know, we mentioned him mm. at the start, a big left-hander. Uh, time for a recall, Yuvraj, perhaps, maybe not. But but you know it, that just also puts these bowlers under a bit more pressure. They've got to adjust, and they were able to just plug away on that same line and length relentlessly. It only took them 20-odd overs, obviously, in the second innings. But you do need that bit of alternative to, to bowlers just to sort of change, to, to force them to change. Technique, you know, I, I think you mentioned, uh, we were talking about this earlier, and you said Shield Berry wrote a piece about uh, batting techniques. What, what did he say? Well, and this is a question for you, really, Yoz. Basically, I mean, it's a really good point. The Ashes is a year away. He said, you know, the sort of bowling that Australia produced today in Adelaide shows that there is no room for batsmen at the top of the order with unorthodox techniques in Australia in conditions like that. And if you look at England, the top of England's order, they have Rory Burns and they have Dominic Sibley. So how do you feel their techniques will get on in those circumstances? Of course, Burns does have a, an Ashes 100 at, at Edgbaston. I mean, he did play and miss a lot. But, I mean, is, is it something that is, you know, is a huge concern for England? I mean, it does look as if that's the way they're going to go. You know, they're, they're building up. and they, I mean, they even sent Dom Sibley to go and play in Australia on, on an A-tour, didn't they, after he played Test cricket? So, that, you know, they clearly he is clearly the man at the moment lined up to go and open the batting in, in Australia next winter, and, and Rory Burns as well. Well, I'd only, I'll just give you two names, the Marnus Labuschagne and Steve Smith. Uh, they definitely haven't got orthodox techniques, and they've got hundreds of runs, thousands of runs in Australian conditions. So I don't think that's the solution. I think what you, you, know, you have to know your technique. I think that's the main thing, and you have to know which balls to leave. I think leaving the ball is so important in Australia in particular because there is that bit of extra bounce. The edges will carry, so you can't afford to you know, hang your bat out and then get a lucky edge which drops short of the slips or goes wide of the slips or whatever. It's, they're always going to carry, especially on that Adelaide pitch, which had a bit of sort of springy bounce. It looked a bit like, actually, they were bowling with a tennis ball because uh, it just mm. it had that slow spongy sort of bounce but at that sort of speed you know 90 miles an hour 88 miles an hour it's, it's pretty hard to combat uh, so I'm not sure that it is all about side on technique or anything because clearly Smith and Labuschagne have, have been highly successful I think it is about knowing your technique don't and, have to face their own bowling well, they, well, though, true, but I mean Archer I, I mean I, Archer would have been a handful 
on that pitch as well. And uh, Smith didn't make any runs, did he, uh, in, in this Test match? So certainly in the first innings, anyway. And Labuschagne struggled; he was dropped about four times. So, you know, it, it, th- th- there isn't a, a, a straightforward answer to how to bat. Look, Brad, Donald Bradman didn't have orthodox technique. You know, he he, mm. he had a sort of whirly back lift, sort of with a big circle, and played mostly off the back foot. I mean, I know it was a different era and different pitches and all that, but still, you know, it, it's. I don't think it's all about side on. I think that's a, a passe sort of argument, but I think you have got to know which balls to leave, and I think you've got to stick to a, a basic plan. You can't afford to not move your feet. Uh, that's you know the early wickets that India lost. Pritvi Shaw, Mayan Gagawal, you know, stuck on the crease, ball kind of getting through between bat and pad. You can't afford to get out like that. And I think, you know, provided these guys, the Sibleys and Burns, have a good defence and they and they obviously defend the ball on their stumps well and also ride the bounce by leaving as many balls as possible, that's 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 a good, a good solution. And obviously the other thing is they just need immense concentration and because the bowlers are relentless so the batsmen have got to be the same it's interesting isn't it watching Pajara I mean Pajara you know in, in a way is a sort of a template for I mean he's not he's not the same sort of player but he's the sort of template for someone like Dom Sibley someone who's prepared to bat a really long time and and, and chew up balls and he did that in the first innings I know you thought he was a bit too passive um, he's passive against Nathan Lyon about- in particular you know, well, well, this is what I'm going to say. Yeah. The other thing, the other interesting thing about Pajara, of course, is he looks he, for, for a player who's, who's grown up on Indian pitches. He actually really struggles. He seems to really struggle against spin. Does he certainly struggles against Lion? Yeah, I, I mean, we'll, Josh, but, Josh Butler was saying, wasn't he, in our um, virtual cricket club the other night, that uh, Lion is quite unusual because he gets a lot of overspin and therefore bounce and bowls very well in Australian conditions. It's all about bounce. So just as England had been practicing in their marquee at Loughborough recently to prepare for the Indian tour maybe when it comes to October no September October next year they can practice on slightly bouncier pitches in that marquee and just understand what are the the, the, the shots now if you watch for instance Kohli and Pajara playing the same balls from Nathan Lyon Pajara is lunging at them and come trying to get down the wicket and sort of kicking them away with his pad Kohli's playing them off the back foot and looking completely comfortable. Coley made 73 on that pitch, and he looked, apart from his first 20 runs were a bit scratchy, but after that he looked as good as ever. So, you know, the good players will make runs on these pitches, but you've got to, got to get through that first five to ten overs. Poor old Ajinka Rahane. I mean, he's got a captain the side now. And I mean that. I mean, yeah. you know, he runs out his captain. It's amazing, isn't it, how Batsman's self-preservation uh, sort of kicks in, instincts kick in at that moment. He, you know, he played played at the mid-off, realised he couldn't get there, and was you know, you, you, he sells his captain. He's you know the best player, well, the be, you know, best player in the world, uh, arguably uh, down the river, really. And 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 yet he preserves his own wicket. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, he's, he's LBWing reviews one. I thought I thought rather wistfully that the reason he reviewed it is he just wanted to delay by another minute that the time he had to go back <laughs> to the pavilion and have a chat with his captain about the run out but I mean it's it's a it was a horrible situation for him and now he's got to lead the side Coley's going home of course with the, the birth of his first child so that's it that's his lot he's, he's done now uh, Virat Kohli and it's it's on to Ajinka Rahani to somehow turn things around hard hard to see I'd say I mean it was I mean they were in a winning position well they 
they got themselves into a decent position. Whether they were ever in a winning position, they, they clearly weren't. But I mean, they they got themselves into a decent position. First test, if, it always feels like the first test in Australia is so important. Not you know not to lose it. Obviously, try to win it, and you lose, and it's so difficult. Mm. And now they've got the MCG mm. on Boxing Day, uh, which which has almost become the new gabatoire. You know, it's where. <laughs> Most teams struggle, although of course England actually got a draw there the last time. Well, the pitch was so flat. The pitch was so flat. Yeah, and and England, and you realise it's ten years exactly to to the day that England won the toss at the MCG, put Australia in, and bowled them out for ninety eight, and they were all out, and they were hundred. England were one hundred and fifty for none by the end of day one. So, I mean, momentum in Test cricket is a funny thing. Actually, I'm not sure it's. I think it's a myth. Mm. I think you you have to start a Test match well. Uh, rather than a test series, more so now, and different personnel coming in and out, uh, whether Warner will come back in for the Australians. I suppose he will. What do you think? Well, it's a debate, isn't it? The debate they've got about their top order. They push Wade up as a, a sort of a stopgap. Not that he's a, you know, he has a, he has opened before. Of course he has, but he was pushed up as a, a stopgap. They've got um, Joe Burns and, and and Warner to come back. Burns, of course, yeah. Today, you know, discussing whether he's actually going to play in the next match. He actually made more runs today than the whole of the Indian team. He, he was fifty-one not out, and it summed things up at the end when he he played the the hook shot. And he was dropped on the fine leg boundary, and the ball went over the rope for six to give Australia their victory. It rather, sum things up. I mean, my point about actually just about momentum. I I agree with you. It is about how you start, but it, it, I think you've got to start well when you go to Australia as, as a test side, if you lose the first test, it's so difficult. And, that, and you know, the, the, uh, one very straightforward reason why it's so difficult is because they are a good side. They're a damn good side, especially in their own conditions. They're, they're, they're so strong at home. And it, I think that India will kick themselves a bit because they, they, they did get themselves into a good position. 115 for seven in reply to... 244 and they and they dropped some catches they had a chance to get a bigger a much bigger first innings lead and then you know the pressure then is on far more on Australia but I mean today I mean just just astonishing I actually I woke up at 20 past five this morning looked to the looked to my clock and thought 20 past five oh they'll be playing for about an hour and a quarter at, at the Adelaide Oval I, I turned on the radio to listen to the commentary and I heard Jim Maxwell I heard it's quite noisy I thought oh they might oh I think they must have picked up a couple of early wickets. That's a real boost for Australia. A couple of early wickets, the pressure on India. And I heard Jim say, it's nine for 31. <laughs> I, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can barely believe it. I mean, it's, barely believe it's it. an incred- incredible day, yeah. really. Incredible day. Well, I, I mean, I did the first two days of that test match for BT. So I had to get up at four in the morning. I didn't end up doing the third day. And I, I'm glad I didn't do it, actually, because I'd had enough after two days of Aussie triumphalism <laughs> with the Shane Warnes and uh, Alan Border and Mark War and all those other commentators, uh, you know, trumping about Australia. So that, I, that would have been almost unbearable to watch them or listen to them talking about 36 all out. Final word on that demise has to come from Gautam Bimani who's the presenter on one of Star TV's cricket programmes. Lovely guy, actually, funny guy, sort of interviewer. And his, he's posted on Twitter here, if I call 49204084041, who will I get through to? Well, of course, those are the numbers of the Indian batsmen in the second innings. No one even got into double figures. So uh, a, a, a difficult few days for the Indian team. 
Well, that's Australia against India. It does seem to me as if it's going to be very tough for India to come back. They're playing against an excellent side. I mean, they've got some very good players themselves, but it's not going to be easy for them in the rest of the series. Three more test matches to come. England, of course, looking ahead to a two-test match series against Sri Lanka, which starts on the 14th of January. They've already been preparing for that. They've actually been preparing for it in England. They've got a big tent up at, at Loughborough, and they've got three grass pitches. We had Joss Butler talking about that in our virtual cricket club live on, on Thursday evening. So that what they're trying to do is they're trying to replicate the pitches they might get in Sri Lanka next month. But as Joss Butler says, it's not that easy. As much as they can, they've tried to make the pitches be relevant. It certainly is spinning. I wouldn't say it's like a dry dust bowl. It's more of a wet... A uh, wet dust bowl. Spin. That's yeah, even so worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, but it's like a real soft wicket that spins really. it's obviously it's going to be so hard to recreate that but it's, it's fantastic for us to be able to practice uh, on grass wickets um, in December um, but and I think you know turning up to a place like Sri Lanka and India um, it's really about reacting to, to what you get I know certain times the pitches can be very flat especially in the first half of the games um, or like you say the they can produce wickets that sort of turn from from ball one. You know, look at the series last time in Sri Lanka. You know, it's been dominated and and seen barely played a part. But in I think in India, especially now, they have a, a real battery of of strong Indian pace bowlers as well. I think they they fancy themselves on most surfaces. Give us an idea of what the tent's like, Joss. I mean, how, how big is it? How many sort of how many pitches are there in in this tent? Uh, there's there's three three pitches in there. I imagine you could have a pretty good wedding in there. I reckon you could um, <laughs> get a, a good bar in there and a dance floor. So yeah, it's um, it, outside the national performance centre at Loughborough on the on the pitch there. So, yeah, there's three wickets and um, they pump heaters in there and the, they've got those um, lights and stuff to try and grow the grass and grow and dry the wickets etc. And um, yeah, it's a uh, for what it is, you know, to be able to get on grass um, is a really pretty valuable for us. I think especially for guys, you know, who haven't been to the IPL and didn't do the ODIs in in South Africa, you know, to be able to get a full run up in on grass and um, especially for the seam bowlers to get their overs in. And um, I think without having sort of the opportunity to go on a warm weather camp or something like that. To, um, so I think it's been really valuable for those guys. And are all the pitches the same? Have you got have you got three identical you know, type of pitches, or are they all all quite different? Uh, I, they looked pretty similar to me. Um, it's the first time I've been here and, and uh, played. Also, a bit slow for the seamers. They sort of stick in the wicket a bit, and they they spun. So um, I think as much as they're probably not going to be perfect um, and and like for like is what we'll find. But the opportunity to face bowlers on a, on a grass wicket and for guys to get overs in and, and doing proper run-ups, um, I think has, has been really valuable. Have you actually sort of almost had your fill of cricket in a way? Because, not not because you've played loads, but because you've been sort of, well, sort of I don't know, kind of imprisoned almost in various places. Is it? Do you almost feel like, I'd just like to escape for a little bit? Because you're, you're, you know, you're triple format, you're going out on the 2nd of January to play in the, the Sri Lanka tests, you know, I mean, there's there's no respite. No, and I think one 
thing that the that cricket has become a bit more 24-7, I think, with the lockdown stuff. So just you know, being able to escape the hotel and go for dinner or go for a walk and, and get out and, and really escape. I think especially in England, yeah, just gone, you know, staying on the ground as well. Um, certainly made that escape a lot harder. And that's something I've always enjoyed. I enjoy the time away from the game as well and, and like to you know, turn up to games full of energy and fresh and excited to play. And um, so that's sort of been a bit harder to sort of leave the ground behind, you know, especially in, in England. It is different. It's different for everyone. And, and you just want to play and be a part of these things. As uh, fantastic in the IPL, Rajasthan looked after us brilliantly and I was, could have my family there with me the whole time, which made a huge difference. And I think you know, everyone's just sort of working their way through it. I think one thing the ECB has been really good about is, is player welfare. And I think they're very aware of, of mental health and, and trying to look after people and try and catch things early as opposed to sort of leaving it too late for someone to then say I'm, I'm really burnt out and I can't hack it in this environment um, no I think they've been they've been really good at that and quite forward thinking especially with this year coming up there's a, a hell of a lot of cricket and let's say multi-format guys your, your Ben Stokes Joffre Archers you have to be really careful how you manage them does it feel like there's quite a, a tough winter ahead and, you know, difficult conditions? And how do you prepare for going from the English winter, the middle of the English, I know you've been at Loughborough, but that sort of physical aspect of it, going from the middle of an English winter right into the furnace of Sri Lanka and also a difficult situation, different situation this time because of the sort of biosecure nature of it. Yeah, and I think... Um... You've got an advantage, obviously, if you're one of the players who's been there before and you know what to expect and you know how the heat is going to affect you. That You know, you spend the first three or four days talking to each other going, God, how hot is it? And how hot is it? Whereas, obviously, if you've been there and experienced that, that's a advantageous. And I think it's an understanding of, of what it's going to be like. You know, it's, it is going to be hot and uncomfortable. And at times when you're batting, you feel, you know, to find your concentration again, you know, when you're sort of, getting tired and and hot and and so understanding that's a little bit what it's like and and also just the you know the rhythm of the cricket is a bit different in in uh, the subcontinent sometimes so especially when there's a lot of spin bowling you know going on it, you know, it's you know, that quicker pace you know, get used to test cricket sometimes being very slow and every ball is a big event with over rates of sort of 12 or 13 so just Having an understanding, I feel fortunate to have played test cricket in Sri Lanka before and, and sort of have an idea of what it might be like. And then it's your, your preparation as soon as you get there is vital, really, to get sort of acclimatised as quick as you can. But, but, your, but your fitness levels are amazing. You've been, you and Stokes have sort of egged each other on, have you? Is, is that fair? Uh, a little bit. I think it was for me um, a few years ago, just again, sort of trying to be the best you can be and sort of a realisation. Actually, a good chat with the strength and conditioning coach of England, Phil Scott, and he was very honest with me, really, and said, you're a good athlete, but you're nowhere near what you could be if you if you train properly. And so, yeah, I think ever since then, I've tried to train better. What helps, I think, is when you get a correlation between you know, your training well and you start to play well, you sort of put the two together a bit and you think you know you really believe that your training is is a, having a great effect on your playing so yeah I think the whole squad has, has moved on a lot you know we're all a lot fitter than we all used to be a lot more athletic and um, that's been serving as well. Well it's going to be an interesting challenge ahead 
for England. They won 3-0 there last time. We'll wonder what the pitches are going to be like. Are they going to spin as much or are we going to have this long game and test England's patience in, in the heat? I have to say, I think Sri Lanka is the hottest place I have ever been. The, sort of the combination of, of heat and humidity I, 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 it's the only time I've ever played cricket. I remember going on a club tour there once. The only time I've ever played cricket when I've been batting, when I thought I wouldn't mind getting out now, because it's just <laughs> you're just so hot. It's just I mean these you know these are professional players who are you know m- much much fitter and, and used to it as well. But it, it does give you an indication. You've got the helmet on as well, and you know baking sun in in, in the middle of the day. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's that is that test against uh, a, a, you know a decent opponent, but also the physical test, the huge physical test of playing in in Sri Lanka as well. I know you played in Sri Lanka, yours and been smacked around. you I mean, you have to get back to your mark and go and bowl it again, haven't you? After being hit into the trees. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Having having seen you bat, I can imagine actually the rest of your team were hoping you'd get out as well. <laughs> um, the the Touché. Uh, the, the, the odd thing about playing in Sri Lanka actually that I found, I played club cricket for a whole winter uh, from. January to the end of March so uh, you know I got used to it eventually but uh, there's two things actually about bowling one is that you can go down to long leg after an over and field on the boundary and people hand you drinks spectators hand you drinks uh, or you can even actually what I used to do funnily enough was um, some of these games which had decent crowds at them even though they were Premier League club matches um, they'd have pineapple vendors doing you know going around the ground with their sort of bucket of pineapple to sell to to the spectators and I used to buy them so I used to have a few rupees in my pocket and buy a a piece of pineapple and eat it on the boundary uh, while while I was sort of resting between overs so that was quite nice and actually it was the one place where when I had a drink uh, I actually poured it on me rather than in me because it seemed that was a better way of cooling down so yes, unbelievably hot. Uh, you have to bowl short spells. Not surprisingly, Jofra Arch has been spared the uh, the, the difficulties, the uh, challenge of playing over there. Although, funnily enough, it, 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 it would have been quite an interesting experience for him to try and bowl on those pitches and work out how to take wickets. Uh, I think it's a learning curve. And of course, Stuart Broad actually started his test career there, one for 96 in his first test at the SSC ground. And uh, I remember uh, Sri Lanka piled up a massive score. It, it, it's tough. It's tough. But isn't it wonderful that you can practice now in the winter in England on a grass pitch in a big marquee with heaters and everything? Uh, obviously, they probably don't heat it up to 30 degrees, but they probably heat it up to a decent sort of temperature. So you can sort of get acclimatised before you get there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I, the thing is, I mean, Sri Lanka aren't that good a side, so... England should be all right, and uh, they do leave no stone unturned in their preparation now, as as Joss pointed out. Yeah, we also talked to Joss about playing the ramp shot on Thursday evening. You know, one of his signature strokes, and we there was a, an incredible over in the IPL where uh, Nokia, the South African fast bowler, was roaring in against him. He hit him through the covers twice for four. It was a thrilling over, actually. That, the, the duel was eventually won by Nokia because he bowled him in the last ball of the over, but he played two ramp shots both went for four and one of them off the fastest ball bowled in this season's IPL it was mid 90s I was incredible stroke really so we we asked Joss Butler about playing the ramp shot and how you take on a shot like that against a bowl of that pace I don't know it's obviously a culmination of years of practice and trust and as simple as you can make the game really is to 
try and hit the ball where the field is done. And he had fine leg in the circle. And with his pace, you know, someone who, you know, you look at the way he bowls, he's quite a, a skiddy, fast bowler, generally bowls quite full. His style of ball, I thought he was going to bowl, is well suited to the shot. So um, it's just sort of, you know, I wasn't aware of how fast he was bowling, really. You just sort of know it's rapid, and but it suits the shot. And it made sense at the time to to play the shot so that's sort of the thought process that goes into it as a batsman standing there do you think you have a pretty good idea where he's going to bowl because of the field and perhaps what's come before it and i don't know, even a cue from the way he runs in or the way you know do you, are you sort of 80 you percent know, certain 90 percent certain of the sort of delivery you're going to receive so you can play the shot yeah it's all it's sort of a, a um educated gamble really isn't it? he's sort of um and sometimes you feel like the odds are generally going to be in your favour for the way he set his field, the way he generally bowls, or, you know, this will change for different bowlers. Um, and you sort of sometimes get a bit of a feel that you think they're going to bowl a, a certain delivery. So, um, you know, you sort of factor all that in and then sort of make a decision as to what you're going to play or what you're going to look to do. And, and to do the ramp shot, I sort of, before the bowlers turned round, I sort of say to myself, "Am I am I hundred percent in?" And if the answer's ever no, no, then I, I back out and don't go for it. Um, whereas if it's yeah, yeah, that's because um, without the commitment to to do it, you'll never execute the shot. I don't think. I'm fascinated when you talked about practice. How much did you practice it before you put it into practice in a game? Can you can you remember you know back to first time you used it and how much you and was there a thought process of oh gosh this looks like a you know a risky shot if I get out to it then you know people might say this that and the other so what was what was the thought process in the in the practicing and actually then going right I'm going to go for it in a game yeah I think back to sort of Somerset Academy and sort of trying to be inventive and guys so you know playing reverse sweeps sweeps and sort of paddles I remember Dilshan doing it in the. T20 World Cup in England and I never quite wanted to do it in the style he did but it, you know it's a great shot it made perfect sense and that's sort of how I then tried to develop it and I actually I, in Dubai I, I may I played a few T20s for England back in sort of 2012 I think and I actually got out twice to Umar Ghul playing that shot and I actually remember in the um, so I used to do team meetings after and I think it was Craig Kieswetter, actually, obviously his teammate at Somerset as well. They're sort of, his, he was charged with sort of uh, reviewing the game and options and so. And he said, um, you know, I got out obviously twice and I was sort of thinking about it, oh, maybe I should put that shot away. And he said, you know, in that review, you know, for you, Joss, that was, you know, it's a great shot of yours. It's a great option just because you've got out. You know, don't really like that. That that's the way you've gone for it, and and so that gave me some good confidence to sort of think. You know, even when it doesn't come off, you know, it is. If it makes sense, you know, no one's ever told me to stop playing a forward defence, and I've got out to that loads of times. Um, so yeah, you sort of make peace with with it, and and it's okay, and and having trust there. And it, now it's you know become such commonplace of T Twenty cricket, hasn't it, that you don't really criticize people too much when they go for it but um I, I think I practiced it a lot as a youngster I, I don't 
do it as much now as I would do in the nets. Um, I sort of now practice it in a very controlled environment with someone just throwing me balls, just to sort of get the muscle memory going. And um, and now I sort of have enough trust in myself and back myself that when I need it, I can play it in a game. Where, where did you actually discover that shot from? And was it watching Dilshan or was it even before that that you found you could... You, I mean, where, where did that shot actually come from originally? <clears throat> sort of used to try and paddle sweep the seamers and and so yeah Delshan would be a big example of of that but I remember for me that playing it in that certain way I do by getting front on and my head out the way actually it was a a t20 game at Sussex and was it Robin Martin Jenks or Robin yeah. Martin Jenks yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with bowling um and he brought fine leg up and for some reason I just felt like I know he's still going to bowl length or like into the wicket and how can I hit it over fine leg? The guy's just brought up. So that's in my head. As if I stay up tall and sort of get to one side, I can just sort of help it over fine leg. And and it, you know, it was lucky it came off straight away that time. And then that was sort of in my head. Then okay, that's a great position to be in. And I like getting in that position because I feel like I can play that shot to a Yorker, a length ball or a bouncer. So I have more get out of, you know if someone bowled a bouncer to Dilshan and he's down on one knee you can't hit it whereas I feel like if I stay up on my feet I can um, adapt a, a little bit when the ball's coming down. It's, it's innovation at work undoubtedly you are an innovator and I know you admire A.B. de Villiers who you know has obviously also developed these kind of shots and excels at them. Have you had a chance to to talk to him about batting because I know you, a couple of years ago you were hoping to to meet him at the IPL or something to this this IPL you were all sort of bunched together have you been able to exchange ideas at all with him yeah actually I've, I've managed to sort of get to know AB a little bit um and on a level where I could message him or something like that so that's that's been great um and he's been fantastic to uh, when I've had a chance to ask him a few cricket questions um to sort of give his um his view on things. I actually more ask him about test match cricket, really, and and you know, obviously, a fan, he's such a fantastic test player as well. And and I, I, one thing I love about AB de Villiers, I think, is if I could have a setup of a of someone before the ball's even bowled, I think his his head is in a perfect position. His feet are in such a great position. I just love the his setup, and that's sort of something I'm always sort of looking to try and imitate a bit and and that's sort of where I'd love to to be able to get to so I asked him quite a lot of questions about his setup um and then I also think as much as talking to people the best way you can learn is just watch people um so whenever he comes into bat whether it's a test an ODI or T20 I love watching there's certain guys around the world who I just I'm very drawn to watching them play and, and I feel like I love just watching and then trying to imitate them as you would as a kid. Yeah. And, and IPL is brilliant for that because you get to see guys so close up, whether it be in your own team at the Nets, guys you wouldn't usually see, or, or you could even be training sometimes at the same time as, as say, Bangalore. And you could see that oh, Coley and De Villiers are in the Nets. I'm just going to wander around and just watch them and, and see what they do. And that is just for me, is, is, is as good as talking to people is just to sort of watch them go about their business. That must be weird that you're, if you're playing against him, you almost want him to, to succeed, to see yeah. how well he does. At the same time, you don't want him to destroy your bowling attack. So, Yeah, I actually remember 
Well, I, th- I think he he destroyed us this year, and I was running mm, to long ones, and I saw they needed thirty six off two overs, and I actually he's that good. I actually thought, God, they could win this with an over to spare. I know that's one of your sort of great theories about the IPL. Yours, you have a lot of like, theories about the IPL, but one of them is that it's a great mixing ground or sort of changing ground of of ideas for players. And you know, clearly, uh, Josh Butler admires AB de Villiers. Although it's interesting there, he was saying that he he actually wanted to talk to him about batting in, in Test cricket rather than than white ball cricket. Of course, Butler is a you know extremely accomplished white ball cricketer, and you know his Test match figures you know, don't quite stack up in the same way no i mean de villiers i've watched his videos about test batting and they're really interesting Uh, he has a theory about playing everything in the box and i I think uh, when i say the box it's he draws a sort of uh, an imaginary box around the crease and he doesn't play anything Uh, he doesn't try he tries not to play the ball uh, outside that imaginary box he creates for himself which doesn't go far forward of the front crease unless of course he's coming down the wicket to a spinner or something uh, he, in other words he's trying to play pretty much everything under his nose and playing the ball late and I think what Joss wanted to talk to him about uh, as much as anything was how do you adapt from white ball to red ball cricket which de Villiers has done probably as effectively as most I mean Coley would be would be another that, that's done it too it's difficult, isn't it? You look at Johnny Bairstow, for instance, who's lurched into the Test match team and out of it and then pr- prolific in the one-day side but lost his place in the Test side, in and out again. And it, it does examine your technique, red ball cricket, whereas white ball sort of almost, it, it's the opposite. It doesn't it really, it doesn't matter about technique. It's about attitude probably more as well as, t- t- you know, ball striking talent too. So I think it's, you know, de Villiers has, in his, the prime of his career, sort of perfected how to adapt his game from white ball to red ball. And I think it's that that, that Butler's really interested in finding out. I, I mean, he's a, a real deep thinker on the game, Joss, isn't he? You know, you, you don't, when you look at him on the outside, you think this guy who's got this rich talent and just natural lack of inhibition... And uh, well, he probably just goes out there and bats. But actually, there's a, there's a huge amount of thought and sort of analysis that goes into to his to his cricket. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why he's so treasured as a player. Yeah, one thing I took took from the evening was you know that that question about him staying really calm. You know, Vic March's comment about you know you, you, that man's got ice in his his veins, and he and he didn't knock it back, did he? He said, you know, well, no, I do on the field. I actually do feel incredibly calm. And, of course, we couldn't have him in our virtual cricket club without asking him about the World Cup final uh, when he was involved in that partnership with Ben Stokes, a century partnership that sort of got England close well, up towards their victory target. Then he got out and it, and it looks as though the, the game was slipping away from England. But he was involved in sort of the the moment. He was, you know, that run out uh, right at the end. So when we asked him about the World Cup final, we started with that final ball of the Super Over with New Zealand needing two to win. And Butler says he was you know, still pretty confident then of England's chances. I think Joffre is such a superstar and has just risen to every occasion. And this was no different. And I actually had quite a lot of belief. If he gets a Yorker in here, we'd actually um, a great chance of, of affecting a run out. I remember Morgs moved um, one of the backward points across to mid-wicket as well. To Bairstow sort of, and Roy, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I, I think Rooty went on the ring at mid-wicket as well. So if it, obviously if he just jammed it out, um, it would go straight to him and, and we'd be able to run him out. So, yeah, I think we set a, a good field. I remember just thinking to myself, just do your job. You know, if um, don't be the bloke to mess it up and every, all of us will just do our job. Joffrey will do his and, and, and fingers crossed something uh, amazing could happen. If I could relive anything again, it would be the that 20, 30 seconds just after we, we took the bales off. Funnily enough, uh, I spoke to Owen Morgan today and he said that the feeling then was a bit like you're a kid, uh, say 10, and you're at the top of a hill and you're on your bike and you think, shall we go down this hill? Shall we try? This hill is the steepest hill we've ever been on. Shall we give it a go? And you, you sort of, you're a bit nervous, but you then let go and it's just this most sort of exhilarating feeling and you want it to almost get faster and faster and you sort of forget about anything that's gone before, I suppose. Let's just watch it back that last moment again. Talk us through it. Well, I know that we had plenty of time because it had gone straight to him. Lords is a like a billiards table, so you're going to get a good bounce. But I had to jump around the stumps and, and get back, but having just knowing I had time, I think, made me... And you're so... You know, people, lots of people, you know, after, like, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, what if I drop it? But, you know, as, as with professional sportsmen and people, you know, when you're just doing your job and that's your, you just, it's programmed into sort of, you know, and if it's not a World Cup final, it's actually a really simple run out. So you're just engrossed in the moment and, and so engaged in it. But then as soon as you hit those stumps, the, the realisation of, of the consequence of what's just happened is, is amazing. Something Mark Wood said on uh, one of these earlier evenings, Joss. He said, "Oh, he said the World Cup finally." He said, "Oh, it was it was a horrible day. It was it was up and down all day. It was tense. It was tight. I, you know, I didn't really I didn't really enjoy it that much." What what, what was what was your experience of, of the day? You know, you, you talked about the elation of that moment. Of course, you know, nothing will you know nothing you ever do in your life will take that away from you. It's fantastic, incredible moment. And anybody who was there that day. Uh, you know they will they will never never forget it and it will see it will stick in their mind forever what was what was the day like though not not too bad I remember like a bit of rain around as well in the morning so that that driving to the ground that was a bit like a, oh like typical England you know our big day and it's just started to rain I felt like New Zealand's innings like it was sort of uh it wasn't the most exciting not much happened they didn't take too many risks we bowled pretty well and it was sort of a, not that exciting, really. But I, and I felt like, you know, we've done a, a pretty good job there. It's not straightforward wicket, but, um, you know, really confident we could we could score the runs. And then I think the tension started to come in with the, the bat. We were, you know, lucky first ball of the innings. I think, you know, it could have gone either way, that decision against Jace. Um, and I think when I first started to panic a bit was when Ruti ran down at the Grandome and had the biggest swing I've ever seen him have on a, a cricket field. And uh, he was my banker. You know, this was made for him, this situation. You know, he'll be 100 not out at the end of the day. Um, and uh, yeah, but I think once you get in the middle, again, that's when you get some control and, and being able to affect the game. And that made me feel more comfortable being out there in the middle and um, just being part of that partnership. And um, I felt, you know, when I got out, I felt horrendous. And, and you know, when you're watching in the dressing room then and you're kicking yourself for for getting out and not seeing your team home, that was awful. Um, and then when it was a super over, obviously it's 
carnage but again for me that made me feel better again it was like I, I can affect the game again like I've got another chance which you never get in cricket so that was um actually really focused my mind and I thought actually focused everyone really to sort of okay we've got a second chance because it's certainly you know the way the game ebbed and flowed it, we'd certainly had a few chances already so yeah, I, I did manage to have some points where I really enjoyed it, though. Um, batting with Stokes, yeah, I think it went, the runs needed went from sort of triple figures down to double figures. And we'd run two or three twos in and over. And the crowd started to get going and there was some belief. And I, I, it was so special just in the middle with, with Ben. And we just sort of looked at each other like, how good is this? Like, this is so cool. And we were just... And that was nice to have like a, a bit of a moment in the game where you sort of take it all in um, and, and appreciate what's happening and then sort of straight back to, OK, concentrate again, like got a job to do. But I, I, that was a really clear memory of, of both of us that we actually did take it in. Sounds like you enjoyed the day a bit more than Woody then, from what you're saying. The yeah. noise, I mean, the noise was incredible, actually. I mean, it was replicated at Headingley a few, you know, a few weeks later with Ben Stokes innings. But I don't think I ever, I've ever heard Lords that noisy ever I mean you're not no. even close yeah yeah Lords is always somewhere sort of has a bit of a hum doesn't it and never quite gets um to that level but the is the sort of um goodwill and the you know the crowd really pushing everyone on and willing the ball towards the rope or over the rope and um now to playing a world cup final at Lords and it being that kind of game is is yeah, it's goosebump kind of stuff. It's it's just a remarkable game of cricket. Uh, how many times have you watched it? I reckon the next day about the thousand, uh, the thousand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched it to the Titanic music and all sorts. So, yeah, I watched it lots. And actually, in the lockdown, the uh, Sky did like a rerun, and everyone sort of sat and watched it, and a bit of a watch along thing. And and that was the first time I'd actually watched the whole game. So. Yeah, and it's it's funny. Though. Sometimes you know, on TV, it's different to how you remember it in the middle. So sometimes it's actually not as good to watch it back because you sort of forget those what it looked like through your own eyes. That last moment, uh, I, I suppose, must be a, an absolute thrill to watch back. And you're never in any doubt that it's, that you're going to catch the ball and and destroy the stumps, presumably. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's nice to watch it back knowing that it went well. Now, I remember sort of battling before the game, really, as well, about sort of what if the next day doesn't go right? Like, how will I cope, you know, and move forward? And, you know, we've all put so much into this, as every other team has as well. But it was sort of our time and it was meant to be. And so I was really battling the day before of, you know, what if it, it doesn't work out? And, and it's only, after, you know, like after, you know, doing some, interviews and stuff people then start saying oh what if you dropped it what would have you know mm. and then you think oh god <laughs> yeah, how would i live with myself but um you know, luckily it didn't happen so you were able as a team to kind of banish those negative thoughts most of the time it seems and that was part of the sort of culture almost yeah absolutely and i think um some people in, in the team uh, at the moment they've sort of come into this a fearless team that's been doing well and, and they don't know any different you know a lot of guys and I think we had a really good team meeting at Edgebaston before the India game we just lost a couple of games and you know we had to win every game to 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 go through and and I was sort of sat there thinking you know I've, I've got lots of inhibitions I'm nervous I'm worried about the consequences of you know what and but some guys in the room were just like well it's no problem like we just win four games and we've won the world cup like we're the best team in the world we're playing at home 
why not? And and I was sat there like, this is amazing that people genuinely, you know, believe that, and that gave me confidence to hear that. And and it's actually an, again my another favourite bit of the World Cup for me is the way Roy and Bairstow went out against India and just, you know, in the, in our time of biggest pressure we'd ever been under and and they just went out and just stayed true to exactly how we want to play our cricket and just smacked it everywhere and I, I was just from that moment I felt like you know what if this works out or not I'm so proud that these two lads have just gone and, and stayed true to exactly um, what we've talked about being a team for the last four years. You suffer from <laughs> nerves surely not where, no. where are they I mean come on no, I think, um, you, never, you never look nervous. No, not on the field because you can do something. So it's more off the field. Um, I just want to be able to have control. And, and on the field, you have control. So um, that makes me feel calm. Um, but yeah, certainly have some nerves away from the ground. Something Vic Marks, I mean, he said to me a while back, you know, you'll know Vic very well, of course, so your Somerset connection. He, he said, he said, that boy has got ice in his veins. Is, is that? I mean, do you? Is that how you feel on the on the field? That you 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 always feel calm because you you know you can affect the game and you you know you've got this memory of, of of playing, you know, exciting innings and match winning innings and winning you know, winning games at the end. Is, is is that how you always feel out there? I certainly feel, yeah, pretty calm in the middle. I think certain games I've felt more nervous than others, but generally it's when I was younger and it's sort of you're doing something for the first time. I've always enjoyed that challenge of being like being not out at the end is the, the greatest thing for me you know if you've seen your team home at the end and and sort of um finish the game and 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 like you say when you are in the middle I, I do find it calming that I can affect the game I think my nature is sort of quite calm and quiet and sort of and I think that reflects in the my demeanor maybe when I'm batting as well but at the same time I feel like I have a good intensity that I need in, in international cricket. And that, that certainly brings it out in you, you know, when you're in those um, uh, environments. And, and I think one guy, you know, Owen Morgan was always someone I looked at when I first came into the England team as a guy I really liked, you know, he played all the shots. He, he did it a bit different. He did it his way. And talking to him very early on, you know, he said he just likes to take emotion out of the game. He makes better decisions mm. without the emotion, remains calm and, and that really works for him. And, and I sort of tried to take a bit of that into my game. But I think the key to it really is, is really understanding yourself and and knowing what the best version of you looks like in the middle. I think I watched a Virat Kohli, a very emotional cricketer, and a very and that brings out the best in, in him. You know, you talk about sometimes on the field, you know, try not to get in a battle with him because it sort of gets him going and that's what he wants. Whereas you know, other guy, you know, Hashi Mamla, he looks like he's, you know, just playing at the park with his mates and he's not really bothered and that's his thing. So for me, it's been sort of working out what my best sort of state is in the middle and and, and sticking to it. Well, great memories there uh, of the World Cup final from Joss Butler. And uh, we're glad to say we've had lots of really interesting guests, uh, apart from him on our virtual cricket club over the last couple of months. Joe Root, Stuart Broad, Mark Wood... Retired stars like Alistair Cook and Graham Swan, Isha Gua. I thought she was really interesting, actually, talking about adapting from life as a player to a commentator. And she's very prominent in Australia at the moment, doing commentary on the Australia-India series. So we've got lots of guests coming up after Christmas in the Virtual Cricket Club. Please join us at worldsbestcricketclub.com because 
We're going to replay some of the best bits of our club over the next couple of weeks while we have the Christmas break. And then we'll start again with some live events in early January. So thanks very much for everyone who's joined that club. And please tell your friends. It's a really interesting place. I'm going to post lots of podcasts and blogs over the next few weeks as well until we get back into live events. Simon, um, who would you pick out? Who, would you, who did you enjoy the most? I actually liked them all. I thought they all said really interesting things. And by the way, you know, if you want to catch up on the the Virtual Creek Club podcast, they are available as well on this stream. Lots of tips, lots of insights into the game of cricket and playing for England, broadcasting, whatever, what it's like after you've retired as well in the case of someone like Tuffers and, and, and Graham Swan. So that's all there for you. It's been fantastic to have them all with us and we hope to bring in many more excellent guests in the new year. So it's, it, we're coming up to to Christmas, Yoz. Uh, is that is that time of the year again very much looking forward to uh the end of christmas aren't we or actually christmas day itself i don't know i always find my, my favorite time of the year is um 1201 on christmas night or you know early morning boxing day <laughs> christmas can is as far away as it can be tell me this tell me this do you wear shorts on christmas day well yeah because my wife has the central heating up really high so yeah they, they stay on i'm afraid but uh, <laughs> excellent she, uh, what are we going to She's just stormed into no, the room. I'm playing. Get I'm out. leaving that bit in. Get out. I'm leaving that bit in. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> anyway, my campaign for, my campaign to have Christmas every four years um, hasn't been that successful. We had to put the <laughs> decorations up in about late November this year to try and sort of combat all the sort of COVID gloom. So all the lights have been up for about a month or two but I'll, I'll be ca- I'll be campaigning to have them taken down as soon as possible afterwards well I just hope you out there enjoy your run up to Christmas more <laughs> than Mr S Man. thanks for listening and we'll speak to you during the week Merry Christmas everybody Podcast Network.